It is a joy, Brother Joseph, that I invite you to take charge of the sacred desk of Lakeview Church. Thank you, brother. Thank you so much. Thank you all for having me today. If you would, open in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke chapter 6. As you're turning to Luke chapter 6, I just want to let you know how important this is to me. As Pastor Gerald mentioned, I am also a pastor of a congregation in, uh, in Mooresville, North Carolina. You all are Lakeview and we all are lakeside. <laughs> I don't know if that means we got any closer to the lake than you or not. But uh, anyways, um, I came, my burden on my heart is for revival of the American church. Why can't it start right here? True revival only comes from God. But it will help if you will commit to listen carefully and to be here for all the services because this message doesn't stand alone. It, it goes with the others. So I pray that God would be pleased to use these lips of clay to bring to you a message that will stir you up for His glory in Christ's name. Amen. Luke chapter 6, we're going to read verse 46 through 49. Luke chapter 6, 46 through 49. And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Whosoever cometh to me and heareth my sayings and doeth them, I will show you to whom he is like. He is like a man which built a house and digged deep and laid the foundation on a rock. And when the flood arose and the stream beat vehemently upon that house and could not shake it, for it was founded upon a rock. But he that heareth and doeth not is like a man that without a foundation built a house upon the earth, against which the stream did beat vehemently, and immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. May God add his blessing and understanding to the reading of this, his holy word. The point here in the beginning, verse 46, Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Who is he talking to? He's talking to Christians. Or people who call themselves Christians. He's not talking to the Muslims or to the Hindus or to the pagans or, or those people at some other secular university. He's talking to people who call themselves Christians. He's talking to Christians and what he's saying is there's a lot of people who call themselves Christians that aren't Christians. Now that might not be something real fun to talk about. But Jesus talked about it and I'm a Christian therefore I'm going to talk about it. Amen. He says, and why do you call me Lord, Lord, Jesus is Lord, and do not the things which I say? Now notice he didn't say, why do you call me Lord and go and do those things I told you not to do? A lot of times that's the way Christianity is presented. It's a mischaricature. Oh, they want you to not do this and not do that and not have any fun at all. Jesus never said, why do you do what I told you to not do? Stop doing it. He didn't say that, did he? He turned it around. He said, why don't you do what I said do? It's an important difference. Why? Because if you do what Jesus says to do, you won't do those things that you're not supposed to do. 
And what did he say do? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. If you do these things, you've fulfilled all the law and prophets. But the very beginning of this statement assumes that there are people in his day, and I'm telling you there's people today, there's been people from the time Jesus came to this earth, and there'll be time, there'll be people here until he returns that call Jesus Lord, Lord, but they really don't know him. Look what it says. It says, why call ye me Lord, Lord? It says in Isaiah chapter 29, verse 13, and he repeats it in Matthew 15, 8. This people, he's talking about the hypocritical Pharisees and scribes in his day who appeared to men to be the most religious of all. I wish I could tell you that the higher up we go in ecclesiastical office, the more holy we are. But sometimes there's people in high church offices that aren't so holy. And we're pastors, we can say that, right? <laughs> it's true, it's true. And these guys were at the very top of all of the nation of Israel, the scribes and the Pharisees. Jesus says, well hath Isaiah said, this people draweth nigh unto me with their lips, they worship me with their mouth, but their heart is far from me. God forbid that be any of us here today. Certainly we're talking about Christians in other churches, right? Anyways, the point here is that Jesus is saying we need to see a connection between our profession and our lives. Why? He says that those who, uh, there's, there's people, verse 47, whosoever comes to me, well, I'm not Jesus, but you've come to hear his word, so that's you. Whoever comes and hears my sayings, most of you look awake, so you're hearing, and does them. Now, I can see you come. I can hopefully think that you're listening, but I can't tell whether or not you do them. Notice he says, he who number one comes, number two hears, and number three does my sayings, the word of Christ, the word of the Lord. He, he is like a man which built a house. You've heard the children's song, the wise men built his house upon a rock, right? That's where this came from, right here. He is like a man which built a house and dig deep and laid the foundation on a rock. And when the flood arose and the stream beat vehemently upon that house, it could not shake it, for it was founded upon a rock. But what's the other person like? But he that hears, so that means they came to Jesus, like people in church, and hears, like people in church, but does not do, is like a man that without a foundation built a house upon the earth or the sand against which the stream did vehemently beat and immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. Who's he talking about here? Both groups of people are in the church. A lot of people think that that person who built the house upon the sand is, is a pagan or, or an atheist or an agnostic or a Muslim or a Buddhist. No, no. Jesus is talking about church people. Did you know that? Which one are you? I hope each and every one of you can say, oh, I've built my life on the rock. How do you know? By your fruits, you will know them. It's easy to come. It's easy to hear. But when the rubber meets the road, it's another story when you do. Now, we're not saved by doing. We've got to get that right. I'm sure your pastor preaches this all the time. We're saved by grace, through faith, not of yourselves, not of works, as any man should boast. But doing good works in the Christian life is important. We're not saved by faith plus works. That's a Catholic view. 
We've got to earn our salvation in addition to what Jesus did on the cross. That's why in a Catholic church, Jesus is still on the cross. Hallelujah, that's wrong. Jesus is not on the cross. He's in heaven at the right hand of God the Father. And that's why we have a cross without Jesus on it because he's not there anymore, praise God. The work is done. Jesus says on the cross, it is finished. You can't add anything to it. But once you're born again, once the house is built on that rock of Jesus Christ and Him alone, you can't help but do good works. We're not saved by a faith plus works. We're saved by a faith that works. And if the faith doesn't work, is it faith at all? James said no. How about you? If you turn over to Matthew chapter 7, you have this same passage in a little bit different context. Let's take a look at what Jesus says. Matthew chapter 7. Jesus is talking about this idea of building on a rock, building on the sand. And in Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 13, we see this. Jesus says, Jesus says, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life everlasting. Few there be that find it. This was actually in the answer to a question. You find it in Luke 13, 23. You don't need to turn there. They said, Christ, Jesus, are there few that be saved? Are most people going to heaven or most people going to hell? You don't need to take the uh, credit or, or the discredit for it. Jesus answers. He says, enter in at the straight gate. He says, because few, few enter into life. But broad is the way to destruction. Percentage-wise, according to Christ, there's much fewer folks that are going to heaven than are going to hell. Now, what do people in the world tell us? It's just the opposite. They adopt Disney theology. You ever heard it? All dogs go to heaven. No, not according to Christ. Because we're not born pleasing to God. We are born in sin. The sin of Adam has come upon us. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And our God is too high and too holy and too perfect for sin to come in His presence. And we should be thankful for that. We want a God that we can bring down to our level and, and, and that he can, we can hang out with. Well, you know what? Actually, God's already done that in the person of Jesus Christ and the incarnation. He's showed his love to us. But God in heaven is holy and pure and perfect, and we cannot go to heaven with sin. Adam and Eve weren't able to stay in God's presence in the Garden of Eden because of how many sins? How many sins did it take to get them kicked out of the Garden of Eden? One. That's the presence of God. Is anybody in this room who sinned at least once? I have. There's two or three others. The rest of you are perfectly sinless. Praise God. Preacher, we, we only have a few to preach to here today. <laughs> Thank you for your honesty. And so if you've, if you've sinned at least one time, you can't go to that heaven that Adam and Eve couldn't go to live in and stay in with one sin. So how do we go? Jesus Christ, the sinless Son of God who was born of a virgin because that sin of Adam couldn't pass upon Him, lives the perfect life and dies on the cross for our sins. And when we truly believe on Him, we're born again. The Holy Spirit of God comes in and does a wonderful work in our heart. And now it's not a matter of, well, I wonder if I'll go to church or not. I wonder if I'll read the Bible or not. I wonder if I'll share faith with other people. No, we can't help but do it because we're a new creature 
are in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. The Holy Spirit of God is inside of us. And we're not a dry, burnt out stump. And we just go, just wandering through life with no spiritual strength whatsoever. Fraught with doubts and fears. No, Jesus says, if any man thirst, let him come unto me. And out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. We have now a fountain of the Holy Spirit. We have a fresh supply. It doesn't mean that our life's going to be perfect. But we're going to have joy in the midst of it, a peace and a joy that only God can give. Why? Because God didn't die on the cross for us to have some second-rate salvation. God the Father gave his very best for you. Now what does he expect for you? Just to say I'm a Christian, I'll do the best I can, thanks for letting me not go to hell, I'll, I'll see you when I die. When you're born again, you become a servant of the Most High God. And so we see, unfortunately, there are a lot of people in the world who call themselves Christians, but Jesus says they're really not. It says here, Beware of false prophets, verse 15 of Matthew 7, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Well, how are you going to know the difference between a false prophet and a true prophet? A false Christian, unfortunately, or a true Christian. You get down here and it says, verse 16, You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree brings forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree brings forth evil fruit. And he goes on to say, verse 20, Wherefore, by their fruits you shall know them. And now these last three verses in this passage, verse 21, Not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. There's some people that call Jesus Lord, according to Jesus, aren't going to go into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Who's going to go into heaven? The one who does the will of the Father in heaven. Now the one who does the will is the one who truly believes. Because you cannot do the will of God unless you truly believe and submit to Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life. You see, he says in verse 22, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, haven't we prophesied in your name and in your name cast out devils and in your name done many wonderful works? And then will I, this is Jesus talking, then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. He didn't say, I knew you and then you send away your salvation. He says, I never knew you. They thought they were Christians, but they weren't. Why not? He says, because they didn't do the will of the Father. So is it salvation by works? Not at all. It's because they truly had not bowed the knee to Jesus Christ, believed on Him, and truly trusted Him alone for salvation. Because if they did, then they would be doing those works that honor the Lord. In John 14, 23, Jesus says, If any man loves me, Remember the first and great commandment according to Jesus is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That includes Jesus, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. If a man love me, if, what will he do? He will keep my words. You ever hear a person say, I'm a Christian, but. I'm a Christian, but I don't really agree with this. I'm a Christian, but I really don't agree with that. What you're saying is you're a Christian, but you don't believe in Jesus' words. That's a problem. Jesus says, if a man loves me, he will keep my word. Not just believe it, but he'll keep it. He'll live his life and pattern his life after the eternal, infallible, beautiful, and errant word of God. And my Father will love him, and we, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, will come unto him and make our abode with him. Isn't that beautiful? God the Father, Jesus the Son, the Holy Spirit 
comes in and takes up residence in our heart. It says in John chapter 1, the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. In John chapter 1, verse 14, and the Word became flesh. The Word tabernacles amongst us, and the Word comes into us. The preached Word of God. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. And when we truly believe, not just mentally, but in our heart, and when we give up the idolatry of the satanic trinity. You ever heard of the satanic trinity? Me, myself, and I. You got to watch out for those three gods. Me, myself, and I. That's the worst ones you can ever find. You know where you find them? Go home and look in the mirror. And this is a big problem. Big problem. Me, myself, and I. No, we are to bow the knee to the true God of the universe, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We see that Jesus says in our text in Luke chapter 6, verse 48, that the wise man digs deep and lays his foundation on a rock. What is that rock? Well, we see the rock is mentioned throughout Scripture. If you do a word study, if any of you know how to use a concordance, and you look at rock, rock is all throughout the Bible. And in the Old Testament, I was amazed, brother, how many times our Lord is referred to as rock in Old Testament. It really surprised me. But in the New Testament, the imagery is there as well. We find in Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 19, the Apostle Paul says, Now therefore you, you Christians, are no more strangers and foreigners, and fe but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. And you, you Christians, are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fit, fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord. In whom ye, that's you, church, ye also, if that was in the southern language dialect, it'd say y'all. In whom ye, that's second person plural, Elizabethan English, in whom y'all also are builded together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. Did you know you're a habitation of God? We're going to talk more about that tonight. God forbid you don't come back and hear the second part of this message about you being a temple, you being a priest, you being a sacrifice. God has this wonderful work that He wishes to do upon the earth, and He wishes to do it through you. And that's why He gave His Son Jesus to die. You know, if we're just supposed to have salvation for fire insurance, why doesn't He take us to heaven as soon as we get born again. Why does he let us live around here for another 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years? Why don't he just take us straight to heaven? No, because he has things for you to do for him. You're to be a light on the earth. You're to be salt on the earth. You're to be a light on a hill. You're to reflect the glory and the, the gospel of Jesus Christ and the light of God is supposed to shine through your countenance and through your actions and through your love for God and for one another. God has called you to be his ambassadors. There is no higher calling on the face of the earth, not for Donald Trump or Mr. Putin or whoever else thinks their big stuff. No, no. You have a much higher calling. You're a royal priesthood, a chosen generation, the sons and daughters of the Most High God. How could there be anything greater or more wonderful or more glorious than this? And this is what we need to commit our lives to because God Himself committed His life to it in the person of Jesus Christ who knew no sin, who lived a perfect life, who fulfilled every last jot and tittle of the 614 commandments of the Old Testament so that you would have to, and he died on the cross being punished with our sins laid upon him. Yes, yours and mine, and all who would believe. And he died. He didn't deserve to die, friends. He was perfect. He was spotless. The Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the earth who did no sin. Absolutely perfect. The beloved of the Father from all eternity past. And yet he allowed 
all of our sins to be put on him. The thorns and the crown pressed down to the blood flow. To be slapped, to be smitten, to be spitten upon. Everyone rejected him. His closest friends left him in his very hour of need. And on the cross he even cries out a cry that seems to be despair. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The answer the Apostle Paul gives in in, uh, 2 Corinthians we find in chapter 5, I believe it's verse 19... He who knew no sin, Jesus Christ, became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. What a wonderful and glorious thing God has done for us. Looks like I need another hour or two to preach, brother, but I know we don't have it. So let me try to tie things up a bit in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, if you'd turn there with me, please, verse 1. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1, the Apostle Paul goes back to the wilderness wanderings, the Israelites being brought out of Egypt by the miraculous, outstretched, powerful arm of our mighty God, the Red Sea being parted. They come into the wilderness. They're church people. They all say, Lord, Lord, but were all of them true believers? Were all of them pleasing to God? Not at all. Paul uses it as an example, as a warning to you and to me. Let's take a look. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat the same spiritual meat and did all drink the same spiritual drink for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. You remember how Moses hit the rock and what came out? Water. They're in the desert and their thirst is relieved by that rock being smitten and that life-giving water coming forth. But it was a spiritual rock. Jesus Christ was there. Sometimes we think Jesus Christ is just in the New Testament. Folks, in the Old Testament when God's working with Israel, it's not the fathers in Israel, the sons in Tahiti and the Holy Spirit's on Pluto. No, no, no. All three were there working actively in Israel. And Jesus Christ himself, the pre-incarnate Christ, before he was born, 1450 years before he was born in Bethlehem, the pre-incarnate Christ, the second person of the Trinity is there in Israel. And he is showing mercy and supplying the needs of those people. Jesus actually says in John chapter 8, you're looking for free bread. I am the bread from heaven. That's what the, uh, referring back to the manna that God gave to these people in the wilderness. But look what happens. These were all church people. These were people that God did great plagues upon Egypt and wondrous miracles and miraculous provision of bread from heaven every day, water from the rock, all sorts of miracles he did to sustain these people in the wilderness. And these were good church people, but guess what? They turned against him. Why? They came... They heard, but they didn't do. And why didn't they do? Because their heart had not yet given up the idolatry of Baal or Moloch or the Egyptian gods, but ultimately the idolatry of the self, refusing to give every particle of your life to the one who loved you and gave himself for you, Jesus Christ. And so what happened to those people? Paul's using it as a warning to us. Listen carefully. It says, verse 5, But with many of them God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. They were overthrown, yes. Now these things were written for our examples. It's true history. 
But it's also examples for us as New Testament Christians. Examples for what? We're supposed to learn something. What are we supposed to learn? To the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. You say, well, I don't, you know, go after some totem pole and make a, a golden god and bow down to it. Touche. I'm glad you don't. Neither do I. But could it be that money comes first? Or sex? Or power? Or control? Or prestige? Or you fill in the blank? Again, the biggest idol of all is the self. Are we really any different from those people? We have the very same temptations. And that's why Paul writes this, so that we might be warned to worship God alone. It says, Neither be ye idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. We have a nation that has now said fornication is okay. I'm not going to go into detail. We have some children and youth here. But if you don't know what fornication is, go figure it out. Go look it up. In this nation today, 71% of Americans say that fornication is perfectly okay and it's not a sin. But 56% say if you don't recycle, you're a sinner. What kind of place do we have here? You fail to recycle, you're a sinner. You commit fornication, that's great, you're okay. God, have mercy on us. Paul is warning our nation today, America in 2018. Can you not see it? Neither let us commit fornication, as some of them committed and fell in one day three and 20,000. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now all of these things happened unto them for examples, and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world have come. Wherefore let him... And if this be one of you, listen. Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. If I was hearing this sermon today, I'd probably say, oh, I'm glad he's preaching that for other people. I'm okay. I don't need it. God forbid if that's one of you. Wherefore let him that thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Amen. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful and will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, flee from idolatry. We end in Hebrews chapter 12. We have to look at the rock. We cannot finish a sermon without looking at the rock, and we'll end there. Hebrews chapter 12 who is this rock? What is this rock that we're supposed to base our life on? Pastor Joseph, I said a prayer and I've been baptized. And you, What are you trying to say? Well, thankfully we don't come to God as they did in the Old Testament under wrath and judgment and this law. No, Jesus Christ has intervened. And we don't come to Mount Sinai, that mount that smoked, that mount that shook. It says in Hebrews chapter 12, uh, beginning in verse 18, you Christians, New Testament Christians, you have not come to the mount that might be touched and that burned with fire, nor unto blackness and darkness and tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, which voice that they heard entreated that the word should not be spoken anymore. The God of the Old Testament, you didn't play with that God. When he should, now that's the same God we got today. 
The difference is Jesus Christ has come. Hallelujah. That God of the Old Testament, the Father, but the Son and the Holy Spirit are there too. But without Christ in between, man is terrified of this God. This God is an all-consuming fire. He is holy. He is righteous. He is just. He is perfect. And we see our sinfulness. The closer we come to God, the more humble we are. The further away from God we are, the more proud we stand. But as we come in contact with this holy, perfect, righteous, all-consuming fire, we can't help but cry out for mercy. And the Bible is saying, thankfully, we have not come to this situation because since that time there's been a wonderful and glorious interposition of God's mercy and God's grace and God's love poured out for you and for me on Calvary 2,000 years ago. And that's what it says right here. This is where we're going to end. It says in verse 21, So terrible was the sight, Hebrews 12, 21, that Moses himself said, I exceedingly fear and quake. But you, you Christians have come to Mount Zion, that's Jerusalem, and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. See then, Christian brothers, sisters, I speak to you as a visiting preacher. You can be mad at me. It's okay. I'll leave and I won't know. So I'm going to speak all that I believe God's given me to speak within the time I possibly can. So I say along with the Holy Spirit, see that you do not refuse, that you do not refuse him that speaks. For if they escape not who refused him that spake on earth, Mount Sinai, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven. And what does that Lord Jesus Christ speak to us? Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? Would to God that everyone that called himself a Christian on this earth would walk and talk and live that life and love the Lord God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, love their neighbors and themselves, share their faith, be holy, be righteous, be pure, esteem others more highly than themselves. The whole world would be changed immediately. Evangelism would take over. The world would be a glorious praise unto God. But apparently and obviously, Somewhere along the line, some of us got off. Whose voice then shook the earth. But now he's promised saying, yet once more, Jesus is coming back. I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. And this word, yet once more, signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken as of things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain, receiving, wherefore receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. Is your life built on the rock or on the sand? When the floods come of life, the troubles, the trials, the sorrows, the challenges, the temptations, do you stand strong in Christ or are you just blown over? There is one final shaking that's going to take place that's mentioned here. It's the second coming of Christ.
if you are not trusting in him and you have not yet been shaken, on that day you will be shaken. And unless your life is founded upon the only thing that can't be shaken, which is God himself and his holy word, the ruin of your house will be great. Oh, brothers and sisters, I don't know any of you. Maybe every last one of you is more spiritual and a better Christian than me. I would to God that it be so. And if that's the case, I should hope that we'll double in size tonight because you'll go tell people to come. But if there be anyone here who's not absolutely certain that their life is founded based upon that rock, that immovable rock of absolute unswerving faith, in the one who himself was perfectly faithful, Jesus Christ. Don't leave here today without talking to me, talking to your pastor, and making sure as you go forth that yes, my house is built on a rock, and come whatever may, I know that my Redeemer lives. I know whom I've believed in, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Amen. I pray each and every one of you can say that. We've got more to preach. This, this evening we're going to talk about what it means now for you to be founded on the rock of Jesus Christ and how your life is to be built upon that. I look forward to sharing with you all. Uh, Pastor Gerald, shall I pray as we end? And then give, let's pray. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we do praise you and thank you, Lord God, that you've given us all this opportunity that whosoever believeth in you should not perish but have everlasting life. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. And thank you for challenging us to look into our lives and to see if how we spend our time and how we spend our money and what we talk about and what we do and, and how we live is, is really a good fruit an indicator of our love and relationship to you. Help us, Lord. Help us to, to, by your grace, become more like your son, Jesus. We who've been born again and washed in the blood of your, your sinless lamb, Jesus Christ, help us, Lord, to be sanctified and set apart that we might be clean vessels to be filled with your spirit, that true revival might come through this very church, through these very individuals and this community for the transformation of this community for Christ and for your glory. And Lord, finally, if there be anyone in this place who's not absolutely sure that their life is founded on that rock, oh, Lord God, don't let them rest until they find rest and the rock of ages, your son, Jesus Christ, in whose precious name we pray. Amen.